This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fokotani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Hey, Sam. How are you? Doing quite well. It's six days until I'm allowed to go swimming again. Fantastic. And, and, um, and this time, the doctor who said that actually understands what swimming is to you, so... Probably a proper amount of time. Yes, and it, what when they say going swimming, I think they might have imagined somebody sit or sitting around on the spa pool. Yeah, <laughs> having a pedal. Yeah, but I've I've got a summer full of long distance, so I have to get back in the water as soon as I can. So I'm really counting the days. Right. Who are we introducing today? Today we have an actual real champion. Fee Clements, she is a champion for resource recovery and waste minimalisation at a time in the history of our planet where we have never needed such a thing more than we do right now. Fee, thank you for everything that you do and welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Fee. Where are you, Fee? Uh, I'm currently in Waitati, um, Otipoti, Dunedin. And how was your bubble life? Uh, well, bubble life's pretty sweet out here um, with views of the estuary and the bay and the beach not far away and native trees surrounding me. So, um, and the sun streaming in the window, it's been pretty beautiful. Who was in your bubble? Who's in my bubble? Um, my wife, Leta, um, and my dog, Princess Zela. And also my parents, Paul and Glennis, um, happen to live live with them at the moment. And did you work during the lockdown? Uh, I worked a little bit. Um, I'm lucky I have, I have a studio of my own to work in, so I can do that um, quite isolated without anyone else coming in. Um, yeah, I did a little bit of work. It was... Um, Mostly making upcycled masks for um, businesses around Dunedin for people. Mm. That was a real craze. Not so much in the first lockdown, but in the second one. That was a a thing that suddenly we all discovered that we could do and and perhaps had to do. Yeah, I think it was a really interesting... um, interesting space. Uh, People understanding the need... Um, and the safety need attached to that, um, but also a lot of community members who were figuring things out, best practice, the best patterns, um, was a really great community um, that gathered together. Um, only few, uh, only sewed a few for community people. Most of mine were orders, which was really helpful for a small business like mine um, to um, keep functioning over lockdown. <laughs> So I'm really grateful for all those people that did order, although they weren't the funnest thing for me to sew, to be honest. I'm not that um, into manufacturing the same thing over and over again. <laughs> and you you make things out of, is it, do you describe it as recycled, recovered material? Or did the masks go um, the same way? Yeah, so text, that's the, just the textile waste stream, I guess, that I've started off working in with resource recovery. I've been kind of doing a bit of a feasibility study and using that one-way stream for quite a few years now um, with my um, brand, Senorita Awesomeo, 
and then also with the um, Stitch Kitchen, the community sewing room that I founded five years ago as well. So that's that's been a big feasibility study into um, utilising a waste stream, reusing, repairing, teaching other people around the community that they actually have the capacity to learn those resilient skills and those life skills as well. Um, it's been um, it's been really great. You studied you studied design. Yeah, I did a Bachelor of Design in Fashion and uh, graduated in 2011 from Otago Polytech. And challenged them quite a lot on their their take on what sustainable fashion looks like. Yes, I did. And um, I've had conversations um, with other people that have come out of that course. I had one actually recently with someone, an uh, honours student who's looking into sustainability and I was slightly disappointed to find out that things are fairly still the same as when I left. Um, there hasn't been um, uh, much integrated into the fashion course yet. Um, they're doing a few things, but I still definitely think there's probably space for more there. Because you were, there's the two big issues, isn't there? There's the the fact that the, the throwaway nature of fashion and the 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 throwaway parts of the manufacture. Well, yeah, there's that, but then also with the fashion industry, there's the human and social injustice that goes alongside it. Like currently, right now, because of COVID, a lot of um, large brands like H and M, and I'm sure many others have um, are not paying for the orders that they um, have haven't been able to get through COVID and so now we've got a whole bunch of garment workers overseas that aren't getting paid at all um, and they, you know, they're already in dire straits and they don't need that sort of, um, that sort of um, undervaluing again when they're already undervalued to begin with and not getting paid properly. So there's a, for me there's a whole bunch of that attached to uh, the fashion industry and that's why I've really struggle to participate in it. Um, I totally believe there's potential for new systems and I really what I'm enjoying is right now the opportunity that COVID has shown all of this stuff to the global um, community in a much more light and is um, as it has for a lot of systems and, and around the world and I think that's a really important uh, opportunity that's come from come from COVID um, disrupting um, disrupting the world and it's something we needed um, and it's I think it's a really important um, important show of truth I guess is the way I would term it because um, we can't shift until we really know the true extent of the problems. Around the world during COVID they were careful to make sure that the food supply system carried on. Has the 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 clothing industry been impacted? It, it, is it are they still producing clothes at the same sort of rate? Uh, I think they are trying to still produce clothing. Um, I don't know why because we do not need that many <laughs> items of clothing. There aren't even enough people on the planet to wear them all. I, it's, it's crazy. Uh, it's just it's a, this fast fashion system just perpetuates itself constantly, and, and I don't. I don't understand why these brands can't see that, um, but I'm not a multi-millionaire profit profit-driven human. <laughs> so, so COVID was an opportunity for us all to slow down. So the slowing down of our of our busy lives has clashed with the fast fashion. We're all sitting at oh, home absolutely. wearing our wearing our yeah. tracksuit trousers and shorts and. Yeah, Maybe yeah, putting no, a shirt on the top. We've been ordering online too. We've been ordering lots of things online because we can't go out and get it at, in the shops. Um, but also, I think it's shown us um, our postal service and all that stuff taking so long to get here. It's shown us that we need to start looking closer to home, which I think is a really interesting concept as well. Because if we're um, if we're supporting our local economy, then you know we're actually supporting our neighbours and our friends in our own community. Um, not that I'm saying don't support other businesses around the world because they all we all need to support everything. But I do think local economy is um, definitely um, a, a resilience thing. Yeah. 
Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's go for a stare. Patrick Soldier, why this one? Uh, well, I guess it references um, stitching things back together, um, broken broken systems and stitching things back together, I guess. Yeah, I quite really like the song. And she's also um, lives in New Zealand, so she's a, all the music choices are all New Zealand ones. Branching out to a more general source recovery? Yes. Um, in 2019, I went to a waste jam with the startup Dunedin and the council um, put on because um, the Waste Minimisation Fund was open for people to apply for. And I'd had ideas for quite some time about doing wider resource recovery. Uh, but it wasn't until I had a conversation with my dad, actually, um, 
he came home one day and he was very upset about having to put polystyrene in the landfill um, to the point where he was um, almost in tears and um, I guess that kind of really hit home that, and that I had the capacity and the ability to actually do something about that because our city is 20 years behind where it should be with resource recovery. Um, our council hasn't um, made it a priority and we are now in a point where we're looking at putting in a new landfill in a space that probably isn't appropriate for one. It has a lot of um, has a lot of um, waterways coming out of it that a go down to the sea and b go down into what should what 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 used to be our mara area where all the food was grown um, in the Taieri, um and so in, into the airport kind of area in Dunedin. Um, and so, whilst landfill is probably our currently our best option for storing this stuff, um, that's that space is not the best option. Um, and we've got a lot of work to do around education. There hasn't been any of that happening um, in the city, uh, very minimal. Um, I've noticed just recently that there has been a little bit more happening, but um, there really needs some, to be some change there. And yeah, I realise that I have a lot of learnings in that space and I'm really passionate about it. And I've tried for a very long time to live zero waste, although I'm not. Um, I still have plastic in my life. Um, it's very difficult to avoid it uh, when people post you things or send you things. It's usually how things, or give me stuff. That's usually how it comes into my life. I try very hard to not to purchase it. Um, yeah, but plastic isn't the only issue. It's been made to be this huge issue, and whilst it is a huge issue, I recently um, heard on RNZ that. Um, a lot of the microfibers that are in the Southern Ocean are actually wool, cotton, and I think linen or something. So they're all natural fibers. And a lot of that's actually coming out of our washing machines. And so, it, you know, like it's, <laughs> there's so many parts to that problem um, that it really needs us to participate as humans. Like we are the processors of the stuff. You know, we're the ones that are taking it in and using it and then putting it out. You know, we're the ones that are creating the output. Um, but I also don't believe it should all be on individuals to manage this problem. There should be some product stewardship from people creating the products as well. But I've come to realize that we are the processing system for this waste. And... Um, and even the food that we eat, like we process that and we're still wasting the good nutrients that come out of our bodies. So like instead of importing fertilizer from say occupied countries like Western Sahara, um, which is now currently in war because of these things, because they're occupied, um, the ceasefire ended last week, which was actually pretty disturbing. Um, we could be using our own, our own resources to nourish and nurture our soils to create those things. And so there's a whole bunch of work that needs to happen there. That's just one example. Um, but I think, yeah, our systems really need to be upgraded and our infrastructure here in Dunedin especially isn't um, at capacity either. Um, we've got a lot of work to do. And last week um, I went to the council um, and spoke at the public forum for the infrastructure um, and services committee um, and you usually get five minutes to speak to um, those sessions but myself and another friend Finn Boyle who um, is um, really into the organic side of resource recovery we both spoke and we had an, just over an hour all together because they had so many questions and were very interested um, in what we had to say and really interested in continuing, continuing the conversation. So we've really um, trying to start that dialogue about co-creation and collaboration of what resource recovery could look like for Dunedin. Um, it doesn't just look like putting a green bin um, into our waste services. There's, there's so much more to it than that. Uh, we could create some amazing resource recovery hubs in our communities that were actually assisting our communities to grow healthier um, food um, and process um, our compost in much better ways and, and 
community gardens and bringing people together to share kai and, and connect and there's just so many options out there for this um, process to happen. It was funny, um, just before when you mentioned washing machines, I remember uh, when my eldest son, who's 31 now, was a little dude, and we had a Fisher & Fyfall 380 washing machine, and it had a filter in the top. It, it had a filter basket, and you'd have to clean out the filter, and you would get cotton bits and pieces in it. Um, but my new washing machine does not have that. And I'd never actually thought about that until right now, and that bothers me. Why hasn't my washing machine got a filter? Yeah, there is some. There are some people doing some work around that. I'm. I'm heard. I think there was someone at Otago Polytech potentially doing some prototyping. I'm, I'd have to um, check in on that. But I know that someone has created one for a washing machine. But it goes on the outfall pipe. It's not like inside the machine. You can get. Um, um, stop micro waste bags that you can put your clothes in and wash them. Um, they are available from Kathmandu and MacPack, I think. They're about 50 bucks each. There's quite a specialised um, double layered um, mesh bag. Um, and they tend to catch it. I've got a couple. So, you know, they don't catch much. You don't really see it. Um, it's quite small. But yeah, I really I think every washing machine should have a filter on it now. Like that's just something that should be mandatory. But how you know, like that's that's something that the government could do. They could make that a mandatory thing that all new washing machines have to have that sort of thing. But of course someone has to push for that, don't they? <laughs> someone has to push for those sorts of things and it seems to be you. And you just talked about <laughs> talking to the council and I keep seeing you popping up in various activities on Facebook. You, you talked about the, the fertiliser. I've, I've seen you blockading at, at, at least the cars going into the, the fertiliser yeah. works um, with big yeah. blood fertiliser signs. Why you? Why do you do this stuff? Um, I guess it's the injustice, uh, I really struggle with that. Um, I guess as a kid I was bullied a lot and now I choose to um, use that energy from that process to take action and help other people. Um, and I guess I just now want to reference something, something that relates to the Western Sahara and that actually is happening on our own soil. Um, up at Whareroa Marae in, I think it's Taranaki. Um, the Marae is surrounded by industrial um, buildings, um, um, industrial um, operations like waste management. Um, it's on the port um, and these businesses have come in and the air quality, um, the chemicals that they're using are making the people on the Marae sick. And they're at the point now where, um, um, so this is people like Ravensdown and Balance Agri-Nutrients. They are the, uh, they're the ones that buy the phosphate from Western Sahara. They're the only two companies left in the world that still do it. And um, so for me, it's about that as well, because 12 years ago, I got really sick from solvents. Um, I was unable to function as a human. Um, I had to move home back to my parents' house and be cared for. I couldn't feed myself. You know, I needed people to make food for me. I couldn't really get out of bed. I was in too much pain to um, do anything. So I know what it feels like to um, not be supported um, through the medical system and through no one hearing you. Um, and so I guess I, I feel... Um, like I have the privilege to be able to speak up about it and the capacity to do so. Um, and then also I feel especially connected to Papatuanuku and um, I, um, she needs to be heard. <laughs> like that's, I guess that's a simple way of putting it. Um, you know, she can, she can only fight so much and she will, um, but um, humans need to also be that voice too and I feel very strongly about speaking up for her. Especially when our uh, whenua is being extracted and used um, for some really disgusting practices that we profit off and export 
to other countries and, and yeah, like, yeah, don't even get me started on that one. <laughs> Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi arohanui, kia koutou, kata huahau. I hope you're all having a stable superstar in your beloved universal. And I really hope that wherever you are, whatever is happening, this journey that we're all on together proved to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and who you are. The triumph of nature is perfect, unique, make things better. Thank you. So beautiful and amazing people, as we know, in such a fascinating time for us all this year. And indeed, I'm sure, since we erupted into being in this physical form at this time, I feel immensely grateful that we physically manifested at the same time. We just spend time together, how wonderful. We get to share our perceptions and our perspectives with you, how amazing. We get to help each other and inspire. We get to learn from each other and co-evolve. How brilliant. And not just with each other as human animals, but of course with all life and infinite web. And something, of course, that I'm involved with a lot is the creation of objects, of tools. And these tools are designed to feed our native birds. And at this time, I'm packing them up and shipping them out all over beautiful Aotearoa, New Zealand, Australia, for the net feeders there. And it's a wonderful, wonderful joy for me to see this dream of mine coming true that we can all help our native birds and the more we feed the more they breed and that's what we need but another aspect of it that makes me really happy and feel very fulfilled is that I know that the tools I'm creating the objects that I'm creating are serving a purpose that is so important to my heart and soul and I know the tools objects that I'm creating will have a long life and should they need to be recycled and returned to the earth or recycled and turned into another object they can be that makes me feel very happy as well and it also has been a great pleasure for me and a great privilege for me to live in a place where i can have these objects manufactured and i can help to manufacture some of them myself so the peak platform the peak connectedness are made here in mosgill in Dunedin, Aotearoa's Dunedin, and it's a real testament to Aotearoa's Dunedin that we have these capabilities to create these beautiful, beautiful objects here with materials that can be recycled on site. And this has always been a goal of Jason at JTEC to be able to recycle his plastics on site, and by working together uh, with the community, he's been able to reach that goal this year, which is fantastic. And I'm so happy to have been a part of that. Another aspect of the whole process, of course, of creating objects, which we are so brilliant at as a species, we really excel at creation and also at symbolism, at metaphor, at objectification. We love to be surrounded by what we value in object form. And for me, it gives me great pleasure to know that I've created something with wonderful Harvey Penfold that people really treasure, that they find aesthetically pleasing, that they find beautiful in the garden, and of course that the birds are attracted to as well. It's also important to me that what we have created together inspires that possibility of coexistence. And while people find a lot of companionship and love from introduced predators like cats, our native birds can still be fed safely as long as they can see all the way around them, can't be amber. And that is also part of the Dizekabeka bird feeder, that it's cat-proof. So for all of you, I hope that the objects that are surrounding you are bringing you joy in similar way. As a species, we're so attracted to, to beauty and the beauty that we see around us, our ability to see and appreciate beauty, of course, reminds us of who we are, that we are beautiful, that we are perfect and unique. And I'm very lucky that I've always been encouraged to find treasure in second-hand shops. And I love that process because, of course, you're, you're going out and you're finding these treasures that other people have loved and found beautiful. So they already have their own story and their own journeys that they've been on, and you can feel it. So I hope that for you, you are finding ways especially at this time of year to find objects that really resonate with you and i'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow thanks so much Kakiti. you're listening to blowing bubbles we're talking with fiona clements we've seen lots of changes in society over the last few months what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick Oh, good question um i hope self-care and well-being um is going to be t- of everyone's um, list every day 
um, and that we continue to work on new systems um, for all of our um, processes. Um, and that the community togetherness um, that happened, um, people being connected and wanting to participate, those are, those are the good things I want to continue. Yeah. One of the things that the pandemic response has shown us is that we can do stuff. If, if we set our minds yeah. to it as a, as a community, we can achieve it. Is that an empowering thought for someone like you who is active in trying to generate change? Absolutely. I think anything is possible. Set your mind to it and just work on those steps. And if it doesn't matter how slow you get in there, just keep plodding along. Because, like, I, you know, I've had that have taken things that have taken 12 years to get there, you know, like it doesn't matter how long it takes. As long as you believe it's possible, you can totally do it. And, and I think it's really important to hold that belief in yourself too. Yeah. Do you have to maintain a positive vision of, of where you're headed to, to, to be able to stick at something for that long? Uh, uh, well, I guess that's what I do. Um, I mean, sure, I get things get me down and things don't happen the way I expect them to, but I've tried to let go of my expectations in lots of spaces <laughs> so that I'm not, you know, not needing to worry about that. But yeah, I am optimistic and positive about it. What drives that optimism? Is it is it a, you have a, a a strong belief that we we can make things better? Uh, I guess I believe in humans. I, I believe, <laughs> um, yeah, I believe we're capable. Um, it's just whether we have, um, whether we're able to go inside and really see our capacity and um, and also be supported to. Um, be healthy and well, because I think that's a very important aspect to it. If we're not healthy and well and we're just in the survival mode, then this isn't something that we are really thinking about. So, um, like, I'm lucky. I, I'm very privileged to have a roof over my head and food on the table and, and money coming in and, you know, um, family and, and friends around me. So, you know, if those things aren't there, it's, it would be a struggle to um, to be as happy and optimistic about things, yeah. The be kind message that we've all heard and has been so successful, one of the things that that's done is put legs on the notion of well-being that you were talking about. It's shown that well-being yep. is a real thing and not just some political or bureaucratic mumbo-jumbo that someone in Wellington's thought up. Does that well-being for you, you talked about the, the personal well-being, you also talked about being being kind to the planet. Is is that the essence of, of what we need to do, that that being kind at, at a higher level? Um, I guess um, I'm now trying to think about it uh, as radically compassionate, taking it a step further than kindness. Um I think kindness is great, and it, we absolutely need to have that. And if that's as far as you can go, then yes, kindness is is there. But um, radically compassionate, I think everybody needs to be on board, and everybody needs to be able to participate. Um, and we all need to yeah be there together. Because um, if we're not there together, then what is this all for? You know, if it's just the privileged that get to participate, then it doesn't work. It might have been a harder sell if the Jacinda and Ashley show was trying to convince us to be radically compassionate. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm well aware that, um, you know, the media and the marketing of that situation <laughs> needs to be um, still probably in the conservative field. <laughs> but how many people, well, what percentage of the people do we need to be on board to, to be radically compassionate? Um, I guess it's your your general. I think it's about twenty three, twenty five percent of the population that kind of need need something to shift. Yeah, yeah. Because they, but the transition town argument is that we don't need to convince anybody. We just need to get on with living a better life. 
but you're seeing that in order to have system change, we do actually need uh, people to get behind that system change. Yeah, well, we everybody has to better come with. Like, it, I mean, if if like I had a um, doing more good cordero last night, and someone brought up the fact that you know I, I'm doing all this stuff, and I've been living this way for a long time, and I think it's totally possible. Yet there were people in the room who come from a community that actually can't afford to even participate in waste infrastructure at all. They can't even afford to buy a rubbish bag. And so, you know, like we have to be able to be inclusive and diverse and compassionate to all or, or we're, going, we're, we're actually leaving half or probably two-thirds of our community behind. Yeah. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have a Radna Plastic Magic. Why this one? Um, I used this song for a fashion show exhibition uh, for um, a collection I made called Peak Plastic, which was all about plastic waste. Um, and my models all had pieces of plastic clothing on that they either took off or ripped apart and, and made a huge plastic pile on the floor of the catwalk um, and then um, I um, actually participated and did a bit of a performance in Te Reo, um, around loving earth and um, and being and being participatory in this um, cleaning up system uh, and so I really like this song yeah behind the scenes here that is not Radna that is homebrew it is plastic magic though but we have to stop playing it because it's about to get rude so let's have a Radna brown girl I'm more than the colour of my skin I'm a girl that likes the same all I know is what's within just a brown girl in the ring Go to school and learn their ways Told how to think and what to say While my mother says to pray I pray for better days God, please help them see They ain't no different from me Not above, not beneath Teach them equality I'm not just a brown girl In the rain I'm a girl That likes to sing I'm not just a brown girl In the rain I'm a girl 
more than urban R&B, more than a slang that I speak. Close your eyes, don't say a word, don't speak about what you see, no hurry. Let's pretend that it's okay, just the way the devil likes to be. Look in my eyes, look in my eyes, I can't lie, I can't lie. All these years of my life Just from the outside seeing a positive future but there are big challenges what lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic response for the things like climate change or social inequity or the the sorts of system changes like the world fertilizer system um, I guess it's a it's a need for us all for all of the different perspectives to be having conversations together about how to solve the problem. We're doing it in silos. We're pushing our own agendas. We're not listening to other people. Um, you know, we think our way is the right way and the only way. That doesn't work. Um, and so I think you know that team of five million um, <laughs> or the global team of humanity. You know, if we were actually able to work together and have conversations um, and collaborate around solutions um, and doing so in different ways, not um, getting out of our council chambers and talking to people in the communities and doing lots of, um, you know, different ways of inter- integrating and um, and talking to people, I think, is, is one of the best things, I think. You know, how did we connect? How have we connected? And how are we connecting right now? Because we're all in different places. You know, we've actually got the technology to be able to have these conversations globally um, and to create solutions together. And so there's nothing stopping us now. The internet's an amazing tool and, and we really need to use it. You're somebody that is very solution-focused, very action-focused. If you uh, see a need to do something about fast fashion then you end up setting up stitch kitchen you're working on you're seeing there's bigger issues of waste management so you're now setting up resource recovery systems that must come with uh or be driven perhaps by uh, a, a vision of the future a positive belief that you can actually make that difference and it's you don't have to wait for other people to do stuff Oh, I'm waiting for no one because no one else is there. No one else in the city is speaking up about it. And I act like I feel embarrassed for doing that. We're 20 years behind everyone else. Um, yeah, I, I, my brain just wants to problem solve all the time. It sees the gaps. I, I'm able to see systems as a whole and, and, and from the, and, you know, in the macro 
um, kind of space and um, then really drill down into um, the solutions and that's what interests me. I find that um, really intriguing and I also love doing it with really diverse communities and getting wider perspectives because I don't believe I have all the answers um, but I do know that I have um, some frameworks and systems that can help other people um, um, realise um, and um, you know go, go on the journey together. Yeah. What role does imagination play in the way that you vision the future? Could you do it if you didn't have a really developed imagination? Well, no, I don't think I could. Um, I love visioning and thinking about any possibility potentials, um, but I also love just being able to sit and allow the thoughts to come. Like I'm not forcing them. Um, I guess I kind of, um, I guess I operate in a kind of theory you kind of space where I'm really just being present and letting the ideas come through. Um, I know I'll listen, I'll go to a space and I'll listen to a whole bunch of people and later on, um, for me, it really just, you know, it'll take me 24 hours to process that and then the ideas flow, um, the solutions are just, oh, I can see this, I can see this, I can see this. Without that, um, yeah, without that, I don't think I'd have as many ideas, for sure. Do you think that the absence of imagination, well, have you observed an absence of imagination and if there is an absence of imagination in people, is that contributing to this disconnect between us and our whenua and the and the reality, the stark what we see as a stark reality of of environmental degradation? Yeah, I guess if you can't see it, how can you believe it? So if you've never understood it, if you've never imagined it, if never been shown the possibility, it's very hard to envision that and believe in it and want to be there. So yeah, yeah, I do think it, yeah. So I have some questions to end the show with, and not very much time, so we should have to be quick. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Uh, this year we moved into a new studio space, so Stitch Kitchen and myself got in studios, which has just changed everything. It's amazing. I love it. Dun- people, it's in the Carnarvon space, isn't it? Uh, yeah, the Prince of Wales Hotel at before Princess Street. Wednesday to Saturday, Stitch Kitchen's open. I'm just open by appointment, though, so <laughs> call me first. And you moved in the middle of lockdown, or you moved just after lockdown? Uh, level two, yeah, we were in level two, I think. Um, but we managed to do it, and um, uh, it was insane. We had so many banana boxes full of textiles, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's amazing, and we actually got capacity to showcase the stuff in a really brilliant way. So it's easy, and it, it's accessible, and that's just it's just changed everything. And we've got more space for people to come to the door and we've been busy ever since we moved, and it's wonderful. So please come join us. <laughs> so we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So what's the superpower that's got you into our mansion? Oh, shit. Is... <laughs> I don't know. Creativity and imagination. I don't know. Is that a superpower? Yeah, then it totally is. Whatever I claim to be a superpower. <laughs> so do you consider yourself to be an activist? Very much. What motivates you? Um, deep knowing. Oh, yeah. How'd that come about? Um, I guess I guess through very deep to Fenua and my tipuna and um, just listening to them, yeah, following what they're asking me to do. So, what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Uh, setting up a really awesome resource recovery in Dunedin and shifting uh, the conversation and the behaviour in my city around that. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Uh, you're doing great. Uh, keep going, whatever it is. Uh, um, small steps will eventually get you there. Thank you for that, Moira. Hey, um, I'd just like to say you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. And small steps will get you there. Oh, thank you. Don't ever stop. <laughs> Do not ever stop doing what you're doing. It matters. Don't worry, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. We're going out to Herb's Parihaka. My friend. My friend, I hate to see you suffer Events conspire to 
bring us to our knees My friend, my friend You've taken this the wrong way Rise up, defend yourself Never give in Look to the sky The spirit of Tefiti The endless time Murmuring his name For who Tefiti They'll never be defeated And even at the darkest hour Their presence will remain Whoa, I'll sing I'll sing for you Song of God and our God with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani and in Waitati, Dunedin, Fiona Clements. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.